Good morning, church. It's good to be with you again this week. It's always a, a beautiful time of the year to drive down to, to Central Texas. Abilene doesn't look like this right now, in case anybody's wondering. I wonder if, if you remember uh, what it's like, or if any of you have ever gone to the gym on the first day of January. Has anybody ever been there? It's a crowded place. It is a crowded place. There are some folks that only go to the gym on the first day of January. Uh, it's one of those, those moments where it's just extremely crowded. All these New Year's resolutions that people have. Some people, New Year's resolutions, they, they want to be more fit. They want to be healthier. They want to eat better. Some of you have made New Year's resolutions in your life where you wanted to treat your spouse better, treat your children better. All the best of intentions. I've noticed something over, over the years that sometimes things that start really, really good can go wrong quickly. You ever notice this? Take the world, for example. If you think about the world and the way the world began, God created this beautiful world, beautiful creation, perfect creation, Garden of Eden. In the beginning, you had this moment where, where God creates light and then God separates the light from the darkness. And he puts these people here and things are so wonderful. The, the Bible says that everything was good. It was, it was very good. Somewhere along there, we don't know exactly where it was, but somewhere in those first few days, surely God made homemade vanilla ice cream. <laughs> because it says things were really, really good. And I can't imagine a really, really good world without something like that. <laughs> Somebody's awake this morning. That's good. Whatever the case may be, we, we know these things are so good at, at, the, at the beginning, but then you see this picture of the world, and, and I've learned that it just doesn't take long for something really, really good to go horribly wrong. So we see this picture of Adam and Eve in the garden, this perfect garden with God communing. And we have this language later in Scripture where it says they're walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. And then you fast forward a little bit and you, and you find that things go horribly, horribly wrong. This is the way the text says it. Then the Lord God said, See, this man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He might reach out and also take from this tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim with a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. Can you imagine a moment in the whole history of the world that was bleaker than that moment. But if you continue to read in the story, you know that this was only the first of many series of events where things became increasingly difficult here on this earth. Not long after Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, their son Cain kills his brother Abel. And then years later, if you fast forward many generations and many mistakes later, you see this story in the Sixth chapter of the book of Genesis. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. 
And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Do you hear in the text just how emphatically the author wants you to understand how depraved the human soul really is? Our wickedness was great, it says. Every inclination of our heart was only evil all of the time. It was so bad, in fact, that right here in this part of the story, God decides to start over. Genesis 6-9 through records this story of a great flood that comes over all of the earth. And God decides to start over with just a handful of animals, a single family led by a man named Noah. And it's just like everything starts over. Just as God's Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep in the first creation, you see this language of God's Spirit again hovering over this flooded earth and that finally the, the ground is dried up. And then God starts over with these people. Everything is new. God hits reset. So surely this time, humanity would make better decisions. Surely this time, creation would succeed. But it doesn't. You've read the story. Not long after this flood, we see people trying to build a tower that will reach to the heavens. In order, the text says, to make a name for themselves. By the end of Genesis chapter 11, if you continue reading here, one thing has become very, very apparent. No matter how much God wants us to love Him, no matter how much God wanted us to make good decisions, no matter how much God wanted us to choose Him over everything else in the world, we've proven by Genesis chapter 11, it didn't take long, folks, we proved by that point that we just could not do it. And it was around this time that God began to set a plan in motion to help this fallen world of which we are a part stand up again. And this is how it worked. God reached out into this world. He reached out to love a single person, a man named Abraham. And if God had not reached out and loved that man, Abraham, if God had not done that, then the world would still have no hope. This is what it looks like, and this text was already read for us again. I want to, I want to read it again to kind of underscore the importance of this moment. The Lord said to Abram, leave your land, leave your family, leave your father's household for the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name respected, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. So God decided to extend God's love to Abraham. Perhaps Abraham would, would be able to do what Adam was unable to do, what Eve was unable to do, what Noah was unable to do, what all those people of Babel were unable to do. Maybe this time it would work. Maybe this time somebody was alive that would choose God. But you've read that story too. It didn't happen. We often hold up Abraham as this icon of faithfulness. As if he was, I mean, there's just few other more faithful people in the history of the world. But if you read Abraham's story, this guy is not an icon of faithfulness. 
He makes bad decision after bad decision. Not once, but twice, if you recall, he tried to pass off his wife as his sister. Do you remember this story? So they're wandering around in the middle of nowhere, and Abraham tells his wife, Sarah, he says, listen, if we encounter some people that are stronger than we are, this is probably what's going to happen. They're going to think that you're so beautiful, they will take you and do who knows what with you, and they'll kill me. So here's what we're going to do, Sarah. When we encounter these people, I want you to just tell them that you're my sister. Now, sure, they may take you and put you in a harem somewhere, and who knows what else will happen to you, but at least I'll live. Now, ladies, doesn't that endear you to Abraham? My, 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 my wife would not go for that. And Abraham does this not once, he does it twice. And then if you look at other episodes in his life, here's a man that truly lacked faith in God's ability to carry through with God's promise. Come on, God, you really... Really, we're going to have children in our old age? I mean, you say that we're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars on the sky, the sands on the seashore. We don't even have one child yet, God. This is what's going through Abraham's mind. And you read all these stories, right? One after the other. Adam and Eve and Noah and Babel and Abraham. One after the other. Mistake after mistake. Faithlessness after faithlessness. And they began to wonder, how in the world is this plan that God has initiated actually going to work if all of these people are such weak, faithless people? But church, here's some good news this morning. And if you hear nothing else, I want you to hear this this morning. God's promise is not contingent upon your faithfulness. God's promise is not contingent upon you getting everything right. God is, God is faithful even when we are not faithful. God's promise is true and God succeeds even when we fail. That's, that's really the central message of this book. I mean, it, it's a theme that you can trace from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. That is the one constant from beginning to end. That's the story of God. God is faithful, period. Despite Abraham's lack of faith, despite all of his mistakes, if you read the story, you'll, you'll learn this, that those children are born. A nation is born from this single individual. And from that family and from that nation, a child is born that will change the trajectory of history forever. You know, I've met some people that have said that there's no grace in the Old Testament, that you have to, have to look to the New Testament to find grace. Really? Have these folks read the book of Genesis here? Because the entire book of Genesis is really just one long story about God's grace and God's love. The reality is God could have wiped out the entire human race with a flood, but that's not what God did. God could have seen what was taking place at Babel and burned the earth to the ground, but that's not what happened. God could have seen what was developing with Abraham after this third restart, perhaps, and said, I'm done. Thrown up his hands and walked away, but that's not what God did. God was patient, God offered grace, and God extended the reach of his love. In 
spite of our habitual, repeated sin. That God's love and God's grace in the Old Testament is, is quite powerful. And if the story of Abraham teaches us anything, it teaches us this, that, that God's love can accomplish quite a bit, even through a single individual. Did you know that? Even through one person, God's love can do some pretty amazing and mighty things. God's love reaching to one single person helped give birth to a new nation. And that one moment helped bring literally billions of people throughout human history to God. That one moment, that one act of compassion, the one act of grace, one act of love, reaching down to Abraham when he didn't have to. And whether we realize it in this room this morning or not, that one moment in human history changed the trajectory of our lives. Because before that moment, you were lost and you had no hope. But because of what God did to Abraham, a family was born. And it's a family that you were a part of. It's the family of God. It's a family that for generations now has been extending God's light into a dark world. And this family continues to extend the reach of God's love further and further and further all of the time. And God invites us to be a part of that mission. What a blessing that is to be a part of God's family. And if God can accomplish all of that through one single person, Abraham, I tend to think that God can continue to do those same things even through you. Now, I don't know how you arrived here this morning, but if this room of people is like most rooms of people, I know that there are probably some people in this room that arrived this morning thinking that you, thinking that you were a failure. Some of you may have reached a point in your life where you finally realized, maybe it took you this long to realize that your family is not perfect. And sometimes we say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but sometimes it's, it's difficult to accept, isn't it? Perhaps you've reached a moment in your life where your children are not, they're not as close to God as you wanted them to be. Maybe you don't have the relationship with God that you thought that you would have at this point in your life. It could be that there are things in this life that you're experiencing that are just not what you thought. Maybe you feel trapped in a job. Maybe you feel like you don't have any direction in your world right now. I know there are some folks, maybe you've experienced this in your life, that you feel like you just keep making the same mistake again and again and again. No matter how many times you pray, no matter how many times you attempt to hit reset in your life, you just find yourself back in that same place over and over and over again. And I know there are some folks, and, and a lot of times these folks are attracted to a place like this in a church family. There's some of us that just feel completely fake sometimes. And we worry. We worry, what will, what will people do if they find out that I'm not the person that they really think that I am? We find ourselves in all sorts of places this morning. And after 20 years of ministry, I've come to believe this. and I haven't learned a whole lot, but I've learned this much. That everybody in this room has a story that if they were to share with the rest of us this morning, 
it would break our hearts. But we keep those things buried. And there are not many people in our worlds that know about them. All that to say, church, we all have baggage. All of us. Every single person. Even the people that we hold up on a pedestal, we put up on a shelf and we admire them from afar and say, that's, boy, that's a really important, God-loving, faithful person. Even those people have baggage. I think of the people in our own history and the history of the world, that names that we would know, people like a Mother Teresa who dedicated her life to helping the poorest of the poor in India. And there are people all over the world that look at someone like that and they say, oh my goodness, I just can't think of somebody more faithful than that. You may know that after Mother Teresa died, they went back and they found her diaries. And they found that through most of her adult life, she had serious doubts. Serious doubts about God. I think of somebody like Martin Luther King Jr. who did so much to change the trajectory of racial discussions here in America. And we, we name all the wonderful things that he did, but we also know that, that Martin Luther King Jr. was engaged in a couple of extramarital affairs. We all have baggage. We all have baggage. There has never been a person alive, say Jesus Christ, that did not have a life filled with stains. You know, I learned this in a very personal way a few years ago. My father passed away about 18 years ago. And when he died, uh, he died of cancer, very suddenly. When he died, he was an elder in the church, one of the godliest men that I knew. Raised a Christian family, there are four of us, siblings, and all raised us to be very faithful children. Our children are faithful children. He left a tremendous legacy. I didn't know until after my father had been dead about 10 years that my father was an alcoholic. Never knew that. And in my earliest years, there were things that happened, even when I was alive, that, that I had no clue were going on. I remember, I recall when I was in elementary school, I couldn't have been more than seven, eight, nine years old perhaps. I remember my father got in a car wreck. Mom and dad said it was just a wreck. I was seven, eight, nine years old. You don't ask questions when you're seven or eight or nine years old. I didn't know until I was an adult. Ten years after my father had passed away, I began to put the pieces together and ask more questions than I did when I was a child. But that wreck was a result of my father had been drinking and he got in a wreck. And he was arrested because of a DUI. I had no idea. My dad had baggage. But God took a flawed vessel like that and changed him into the man that I remember. There was this icon of faithfulness and left a tremendous legacy for his family, his children and his children's children. That's what God does with baggage. God can move into a world and change us into something we never knew was really there all along. Did you know that God's love reaching down to you 
can literally change the world. And you say, but I'm imperfect. I have all these things and some things people don't even know about me. Yeah, just like Abraham. Just like Noah. Just like Adam and Eve and David and Mary and the list goes on and on and on. The beauty of God's love, church, is that it is powerful enough to change lives in spite of the imperfections of its vessels. That's the beauty and the power of God's love. And here's the thing, if you give your love, if you give the love of God to your children, (laughs) that will affect not only your relationship with them, it will affect the relationship perhaps with their children and children's children. So this act of love that you give to a single individual, to someone in your family, can have generational impact. It can change the trajectory of your family tree. And if you were to love your neighbor or your coworker or a stranger or... And the list goes on and on. Just think what God's love can do. Just think of the ways that God's love can change the world through you. I want you to remember something this morning. Sometimes we, we read this book. And if we're not careful, we think of it as just this book and it's filled with stories about, well, dead people. <laughs> Back in the day. And they sometimes don't feel real to us. If we're honest with it, they don't feel real to us. But I want to remind you that among other things, this book, it's a picture of our family tree. It's a family album. And it tells the stories of the people that are in our family and the highs and the lows, the victories and the defeats of the people in our family who have come before us. And thinking of it that way, I want you to keep in mind that that promise that was given to Abraham all those years ago, that we've read a couple of times already this morning, that promise is not only directed to Abraham, that promise is directed to this family. That promise is directed to you. I want you to hear these words again. And as you hear them, I want you to think of them not as some written to words to somebody that was dead a long, long time ago. I want you to consider them as words written to you in, in this moment and in this time. And once you consider the implications of what God is saying here, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name respected. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And those who curse you, I will curse. All of the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. That is quite a promise. And you may hear those words and you think to yourself, yeah, but but whether I participate in this or not, God's, God's plan is going to go on with or without me. And you know what? You're absolutely right. <laughs> whether you are a part of this mission or not, Whether you choose to participate in extending the reach of God's love or not, God's plan is going to move forward with or without you. But church this morning, let me remind you what a tremendous blessing, what a tremendous opportunity it is that God has given us the ability to participate in this mission. This job that He has been on since the days that we were reading about here earlier this morning. Helping a fallen world stand up again. So my prayer for you this morning is that God will give you courage, 
that God will give you patience, that God will give you opportunity to extend the reach of God's love. First of all, to those around you, to your immediate family, to your family, your close friends. And that God would allow you to extend the reach of His love even further to those people that are just casual acquaintances. Perhaps people that you see in the restaurants this afternoon or the person that you see at the gas station on a weekly basis. And perhaps God's love would allow you to extend even further to those people that, well, you just don't like to be around very much. Pray for courage and opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the ways in which you open up this world to us and the ways that you love us even when we do not feel like we need to be loved. God, first of all, we thank you for the ways in which you love us in spite of our imperfections and faithlessness. God, we also pray this morning for courage and opportunity that you would help us to see those people in this world that desperately need your love and give us the courage to extend our hands and reach out to them the ways that you've reached out to us, carrying your love further and further and further into the world. And God, we thank you for Jesus, for what that moment, that life has meant to us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Just a moment, Raymond's going to lead us in a song. Uh, and as he does, I want to extend to you an opportunity. Uh, if there are those of you here this morning that just need somebody to pray with, that you need somebody to surround you and to love you this morning, and maybe you feel just distant and you need some help, this body of Christ wants to give you that strength and give you that courage this morning together. It could be that today's the day that you want to accept Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, and put on Christ in baptism. We would love nothing more than to do that with you this morning. In whatever ways this body of Christ can help you, we invite you to come as we stand and sing together.